All right, well, Happy New Year, everybody. Great way to start the new year by being gathered as a church and fellowshipping together, hearing the gospel together, refocusing, reorienting our lives as we move from one year into the next. So today we're going to be in Psalm 95. If you want to make your way there, it's going to be really important and good to have a Bible in front of you, whether that be on your phone or my preferred favorite, the old school actual physical Bible. So make your way over to Psalm 95. Today begins our first in a series uh, in January. We're going to start the year off with a series in the Psalms we're entitling The Problem of Pain. And the reason why we're doing this is because many, if we're being, again, we like to say we're an honest church, if you're being honest, many of you, maybe even in this room, experience post-Christmas blues, right? You come off the high of the holiday season, or maybe for you it's a relief the holiday season is over with all the expectations it brings, but we're in Oregon, it's gray all the time, Christmas is behind us, we have months of gray and rain ahead, and a lot of people can struggle with kind of just the despondency and the blues at a minimum, More than that, there's the realization and sense of loss we all have in our life, right? In a lot of different ways, whether that be relational, physical pain, grief, brokenness, all of it. We bring that to the table when we gather as a church. So we're going to come to the book of Psalms through the month of January for a series called The Problem of Pain. And the reason we're going to the Psalms, I know this is probably true for a lot of you in this room, just the power and beauty of God's word. I love the Psalms. I know a lot of you do too. The reason, one of the reasons I love it is just because of the honest emotions in the book. There's so many desperate and raw prayers that we see in the book of Psalms. And it's been said about the book of Psalms that every feature and circumstance of life is transmitted into the Lord's presence and put into the context of what is true about him right? Don't we all, haven't we experienced that from the book of Psalms in our life? That's what we're going to do together as a church. And the Psalms, again, just to make sure we're all clear on this, they were made not just to be read, but to be prayed and to be sung, right? So Psalms is the largest collection of poetry in the Bible. And it was really the hymn book, the prayer book for God's people as they looked ahead to the future Messiah, right? That's when the Psalms was written, looking ahead to the cross. Now we look back on the cross. And the book of Psalms, probably a lot of you know this, but it was was collected, pulled together during the time of exile, when God's people, when the Israelites were exiled in Babylon, right? Longing for their true and promised home, and yet exiles in a foreign land. That's the language, the tone, the posture of Psalms. It speaks to exiles then, and it speaks to us as exiles today who long for the second advent and return of the promised Messiah. So that's how we're coming to the book of Psalms together. So if you want to bow with me in prayer, let's pray before we open God's word together. Father God, we desperately need to hear from you today. Give us hearts to confess, repent, believe, and worship you. Father, I need your help this morning. May I communicate your word clearly, and may we hear what you have for us today. Father, we pray you will open your word to us now and open us to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to read aloud for us. Psalm 95. Have a Bible in front of you and follow along. This is God's word. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. 
For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So in Psalm 95 today, we're going to consider three points of emphasis or movement together. First, we're going to see what is worship from Psalm 95. And then we're going to explore today's worship and exhaustion. And then the third and final point is today's worship and rest. So first, what is worship? And we know, again, the entire book of Psalms, right, from verse one to the end is all about worship. And that's especially so here in Psalm 95. Throughout church history, this Psalm we're in today, Psalm 95 has been used as a guide to inform the gathered church's worship. Psalm 95, we're on really important ground here in Psalm 95 together. And when you think about it, again, it's January 1st, 2023, there's really no more important, no more practical, no more relevant, no more powerful thing than for us to consider together what God has to say about worship. So and again, remember, we're coming to the Psalms. The title of our series is The Problem of Pain. So we're going to consider worship together, and that's especially so in your suffering, in your trial, in your loss, right? In your pain, what does God say about worship? And then we're going to explore the connection of worship and exhaustion and rest. So where do we get the rest for our souls when we're in the middle of going through pain in our lives? And Psalm 95 is going to highlight the big idea is that we experience the reality of true rest through true worship. Psalm 95 is amazing and there's so much here for us. So verse six, the middle of the psalm, put your finger on it. It's the key or orienting verse in the whole uh, chapter here for us. Verse six says this, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So worship is what we were made for. The Westminster Catechism, shorter catechism for those of you that care about such things as that, puts it like this. What is the chief end of man? Question, answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So the purpose that you were made for is to worship God. It's the, absolutely the, can't underline it enough, most important thing you can do. Worshiping God is what we're made for. So if it's that important, we need to make sure we're clear on what that actually means. What are we saying to worship God? So there are lots of ways throughout the Bible that we could talk about this, but we want to ground us right here in the psalm. So again, look at verse six. When you, when you look at it in the Hebrew, there's actually three consecutive verbs here. In our English translation, which is great, it's capturing the idea, but in the Hebrew, it's three consecutive verbs in a row, and they all mean to bow down. 
Okay, so verse six, what does it mean to worship? It means to bow down. The psalmist is making a point to worship God. Hear the central or core verse in this chapter, verse six. It means to bow down, bow down, bow down. Psalm 95, verse six. And then if you just glance over real quick at Psalm 96, verses six and seven, it also gives us a great definition of worship that amplifies this that's here in Psalm 95. Verses seven and eight, actually, in Psalm 96, give this definition of worship when it says, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength do his name. Okay, glory and strength do his name. Worship is bow down, bow down, bow down in view of who God is and who we are. And then notice just real quick, I'm grounding us in a few core principles here in what worship is. Notice verse one, verse six, and verse eight here in Psalm 95. So what is worship? Verse one, we're to worship God with our emotions, with joy and with singing. Can't you just feel the start of this chapter? We worship God with our emotions. Verse six, we're called to worship God with our will, right? We're to bow down, we're to submit, we're to choose to submit, to bow down to God in view of his glory and power and wonder of who he is. And then verse eight, one more thing, our worship should entail our minds, right? It's not an irrational worship. It's a rational worship that we bring our minds to that. We're to hear, we're to understand, we're to reason. So what is worship? It's the act of ascribing ultimate value to something in a way that engages your whole being. Wow. That is all-encompassing, amazing, wonderful truth for us to start a new year with. What is worship? The act of ascribing ultimate value to something that, in a way that engages your whole being. That's the kind of worship Psalm 95 is calling us into. And I just want to unpack it another layer here real quick, just kind of bringing some things out to us to look at and enjoy and ponder together from the glories of Psalm 95. So two more quick things that are really important we're clear on to, to define what true worship is. Not just worship like an ethereal, like how it makes me feel, right? It's a quick, quick hit emotional high to get me through my week. That's not the kind of worship we're talking about. We're talking about true biblical worship. Two other things from Psalm 95. First, it's a worship that's grounded in truth. Notice how does the psalmist praise God? Does he praise him for his own ideas of what he thinks about God? Is he like, I imagine God as a shepherd. And so I praise him for what I imagine him to be. He's not. He's praising God for who God has said he is, who God has revealed himself to be. And even here in Psalm 95, that's in accordance to the scriptures that had been given to the psalmist at this point. He's praising God for who God says he is not who the psalmist maybe imagines him to be on one of his best days, okay? So true worship is grounded in truth, objective truth that's outside of yourself, that's revealed in a thus saith the Lord kind of way. And then the response is worship. One other thing, so true worship is grounded in truth. One other aspect, and this is all in Psalm 95, I want you to see it for yourself, is that in Psalm 95, notice who are all the um, people here? Is it singular or plural throughout the whole psalm? 
it's plural, right? It's our, it's we, it's us. So this highlights that we're called to worship in community, just like what we're doing here. This is right in Psalm 95. So, you know, all of life is worship. So I'm not saying that's not true. Each of us are worshipers who we're created to be. You're always worshiping 24-7. But it's especially so when we gather, when we worship as a community of believers. And this is really important. The reason I'm kind of drawing this out for us, we could kind of gloss over it. I'm drawing it out for us because that just butts right up against the presuppositions in our culture. That I really experience God most when I'm out fishing on the Columbia or when I'm out hiking on Mount Hood or when I'm visiting my favorite coffee shop. And I love all three of those things and many other things. But this is saying to really worship, you worship in truth and you worship in community with other God-fearing, God-worshiping people. So we're to worship in community. So the church, right, is God's people. It's the community. Church is God's idea. It's his plan. So that means it's for his glory and our good. So we're to worship according to truth, according to who God has revealed himself to be, and we're to worship in community. And remember, Psalm 95 has informed and instructed the church for centuries. So I'm not saying anything that other Christians haven't seen from God's word. So it's important that we're also flowing in that same stream from Psalm 95. So we're called to worship according to truth and in community. So that's kind of briefly what worship is. It's ascribing ultimate value to God because he is ultimately valuable and it's according to his truth and doing that in community. Okay, so that's the what. Real quick, Psalm 95, it's amazing. It also shows us the why. So it's not just like a what. Yeah, we, we worship, here's what worship is. But it also, because God's so good and he's so kind, it shows us the why we're to worship, okay? So there's the why here and it gives us four of them. I'm just gonna pull these out real quick. You're gonna notice the fours in the chapter, right? So there's this what of worship, then there's a four, Okay, so look down at verses three and five, just real quick. Again, Regression Bible Church, that means we wanna have our Bibles open when we gather. Look down, verses three and five. The first two whys are why we worship God. There's that four, or think because of, it's because the Lord is what? A great God and a great King above all gods. His greatness is why we worship Him. And then just keep reading. Notice then in verses four and five, uh, or I'm sorry, in verse four and five, so we kind of want to make sure we hang our hat on what that is, right? We're worshiping God because he's the creator, because he rules and he reigns like we just sang a few minutes ago. So we worship him because of his majesty and his sovereignty, right? And then think about what that means, what verse four is saying. He's this powerful, this glorious of a God, that we really truly don't have a category for in our feebleness, in our createdness. He is the one who created and sustains everyone and everything. From the furthest galaxy, any scientist who will ever live will ever discover, that's God's, that's mine, that's his, and he spoke it into existence and it didn't make him tired to do so, okay? So that's our God. And he's also the God, look at verses four and five, that he's the God of the highest mountain peaks, of the stars that are the furthest million, billion light years away. 
And then he's also the God, the depths of the deepest seas that we still haven't been able to explore. That's the God that we're coming to worship, right? Again, he's the creator and the sustainer of everyone and everything. Psalm 95 isn't messing around where he is just like cutting right to the chase, right to the core of reality of the most important thing in the universe. And that's God and who he is. Okay, so we worship him because he's the great God and the great king above all gods. And then it gives two other reasons just a little bit later in verses six and seven. The why we worship in verses six and seven, we worship because God is what in verse six? He's our maker. So he's not only the creator, like he makes the galaxies and the stars and the mountains and the oceans and the smallest atoms that we can never even comprehend. That's God, but he's also your maker, right? He's my maker. He's a, he's a personal kind of God. So he made me and he made you. And he not only made us, right? He's not a distant dad who walked out on his kids. He made us, and then what does he do? He shepherds us. That's who this God is. He loves me, he loves you faithfully. He cares for you like a shepherd cares for his sheep. That is this great God we're called to worship here in Psalm 95. So when you think about it, some old theologians said it like this. They said, we worship God for his diverse excellencies. He's the creator, the sustainer, the sovereign majestic one. And he's also the maker of you. And he cares for you. The diverse excellencies of God are the why, the four of why we worship him. So the same God again who spoke the galaxies into existence is the same God who cares for me like a shepherd. This is the God of Psalm 95, the God of the Bible that we come to worship on the first day of a new year. So the English word, a way to kind of capture this have a, as a takeaway, kids, especially listen to this. The English word for worship comes from the old English word, worth-ship. Again, we worship, we ascribe ultimate value to something that's so worthy, and that's God. So worship is worth-ship, right? And then we live in accordance to that. So this is Psalm 95. It's amazing. You can't exhaust it. Okay, it's like peeling back the curtain on reality of what really matters, okay? Like the nuclear core of who you are and the world and existence is God, okay? So we've seen what worship is and why we worship. And then Psalm 95 is amazing. It's gonna connect it to our day-to-day experience. So this brings us to our next point of emphasis and that's today's worship and exhaustion. So Psalm 95, when you read it, it kind of, it feels surprising. It feels it's glorious and good and praise. And then all of a sudden, there's just like a punch in the stomach, a kick to the face at the end of verse seven that flows through verse 11. And it's this really strong warning. It feels kind of inconsistent. Like, wait, we were just talking about how glorious our maker, creator, sovereign, majestic God is. And then you're warning us like this. And there's a reason why. Just, just, just hear this, the end of verse seven. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And then it ends, because if you do, you won't enter God's rest. So the today at the end of verse seven means today. What does today mean? It means today. It means January 1st, 2000. 
23. Today, right now, where we are, do not harden your heart towards this great God. And if you do, you won't experience the rest of God. The you here today, you don't harden your hearts. It's each of us within the sound of my voice hearing Psalm 95. God's word is alive and active. God's spirit uses God's word to do his work in God's people. So this is our word for us today. Today, January 1st, 2023, do not harden your heart against this God. If you do, you're gonna be exhausted. And that's what we're gonna see here from Psalm 95. And the reason why I can say we're gonna be exhausted is because of the kind of the combination here of worship and warning and the relationship of what worship actually is and what it means for us as created human beings. So first, there's so much packed in here, but I wanna make sure we're really clear on it. The psalmist, he's warning the listener. God's word is warning us today not to harden our hearts like God's people did at Meribah back in Exodus chapter 17. For the men and women in this room that have been in the Exodus Bible studies, you know this, right? We're not to do what they did back in Exodus 17. Remember, that's when the people grumbled and they didn't trust God to provide what they needed. Yeah, God, you rescued us. You called us out of Egypt, but now you've left us here in the desert. We need water. We don't trust you. We think you've forgotten us. We're gonna take things into our own hands and they get Moses to beat a rock with a stick, okay? Psalm 95 is saying, don't be like that. That's what it's saying. And then it's also saying, it's also referring to Moses's own unfaithfulness in Numbers chapter 20, his own unfaithfulness before the Lord, where God's people and Moses, again, they doubted God to keep his promises. So what did they do? Just like each of us, what do we do? We take things into our own hands because we don't think we can trust God or he doesn't have it all figured out. So therefore I gotta take action and I gotta provide for myself because God's not gonna provide for me. That's what Psalm 95 is saying. Don't do this. It's warning us against this. So this warning in Psalm 95 is urgent. Can you feel and hear the urgency in Psalm 95? It's urgent for us in our worship today too. Again, the message is the same. Today, you can't worship God with an unbelieving heart if you want the rest of God. Because true worship is by faith and unbelief only feeds exhaustion. That's what God's word is saying. This isn't like some high theology. You go to a class up on a shelf. This doesn't matter for your day-to-day life. This matters for you right now, later today, tomorrow, the rest of this year. It matters for our rest because if we're trying to take things into our own hands, we're created beings, we'll get exhausted by that. We have to walk by faith and trust him to experience the rest of God. And there's another way as well. I just want us to see it in the amazing pages of God's word that Psalm 95 warns us about the relationship of worship and exhaustion. And again, it's because of the nature of what worship is. So look back just a few verses at verse three. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Why does it say above all gods? Could have just stopped. A great God and a great King, period. But it doesn't. It says above all gods. 
And the reason why I'm summarizing Psalms here before and after Psalm 95 is because we're all worshipers. We all worship something. We're either gonna worship the great God and great King, or we're gonna settle for these other gods. We're all gonna worship something. The question isn't if you're gonna worship, it's who or what that you're going to worship. Because again, everyone worships. The world, everyone in this room, everyone in Gresham, everyone in Oregon, everyone in America, everyone around the world, everyone who's ever lived, anyone who ever will live, are divided into two things. Everyone's a worshiper. The two things, do you worship the God of the Bible or do you worship these other gods? That's the two categories that the Bible gives us here, okay? So it's this idea, these other gods, it's the idea of worshiping an idol or worshiping God. And idols will exhaust you because they can't give you the deep rest you were made for. That's what Psalm 95 is warning us for. If you don't have true worship of the true God, you won't have true rest. So if you don't have true rest, what are you? You're exhausted, right? And again, can't we all agree? You can probably feel it. I know I have in preparing this this last week. You can feel the urgency of the todayness of this, right? We're all worshiping something, looking for something. If it's not God, we're going to be exhausted. St. Augustine wrote this. You, God, have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. It's capturing the idea here of Psalm 95. So again, each of us are worshipers. Each of us look to someone or something for our identity, our security, our comfort, and our significance. Something we live for and something that if we think that thing, if we can get it from that thing, then we'll find the meaning and identity and happiness that we're all longing for, right? That's what's happening in our worship. So you are a worshiper. You're gonna look for your identity, security, comfort, and satisfaction in something. The question is in what? And I just want us to kind of sit here for a minute because this is amazing what Psalm 95 is bringing us out to us. And it says today, so let's consider this for today. Whatever that thing you're worshiping, right, is really, if it's not God, it's still a God. It's your functional God, right? Because that's what you're looking to orient your life around. That's what you feel like tells me I matter. That's what you're striving for, right? So then that thing's controlling you. It's informing your life, your rhythms, your desires, what you think the good life is. So what you worship has so much impact on us today. And the reason why, this is later in Psalms, in Psalm 115, is because God's word says we become like what we worship. You become like what you behold. So if you're worshiping something other than God and looking to that for these deep, deep longings and desires in us, you're gonna become like that thing, but it's not God. So it's gonna disorient you, distort you, and get you off the path of true rest. So Psalm 95, it warns us as worshipers, doesn't it? My ultimate problem and your ultimate problem in 2023 is going to be what you worship. Carrie and I were joking, joking the other night, remember New Year's 2019, hey, happy New Year, everybody, and 2020, we had no idea what was going to happen. If we're being really honest right here, none of us have any idea what 2023 is going to be. But I promise you, no matter what it brings, and I really mean that, the biggest problem you're going to have, the biggest opportunity 
is if you're going to worship God or not, okay? Because we're all worshipers. That's what Psalm 95 is showing us here. So if you worship anything other than the great, glorious, good, and gracious God of Psalm 95, you're going to be exhausted by trying to worship and serve and strive for a lesser God, an idol, because you can never sacrifice enough for an idol. It'll never be satisfied. So you can either experience God's rest through true worship or exhaustion through false worship, okay? And when I say this, I don't want this to just sound, again, theoretical. When I say we're all worshipers, you can look for other things to worship God. Maybe you're hearing that like, yeah, preach, Mike, right? Because maybe we have these categories of that maybe means like an idol in Indiana Jones. Or maybe that means like, man, I don't struggle with that deep addiction I know this other brother or sister do, or I don't struggle with this. But you know what the gods are often we look for and I look for are actually the good things in life. So it could be your family, okay? It could be your work. It could be your politics. It could be your religious activity or performance. It could be your social status, your friends. Whatever you look for to give you only what God can, it'll fail you and it'll exhaust you because those things aren't your creator, they're not your maker, they're not the loving shepherd of your soul. That's how practical and graciously confrontational Psalm 95 is. It's like a smelling salt for our worship to wake us up on January 1st, 2023. So again, I think we can all agree from Psalm 95, there's a relationship between your worship today and the exhaustion that's in each of our souls. We will be exhausted if we are not truly worshiping our true and gracious God. So again, Psalm 95 is about the most pressing need any of us are gonna have in this new year. Who are you worshiping? And what is your experience gonna be? And this brings us to our third and final point from Psalm 95, today's worship and rest. I want us to hear the todayness in the second half of verse seven. Today, there's this warning, don't be exhausted, don't settle for lesser worship. And then there's this call for today to worship and experience the rest that only the gospel can bring. And I'm, I can say that, I'm not making that up because it's right in Psalm 95. In two ways I wanna draw your attention to. Look at how the Psalm starts in verses one and two. It's a call, an invitation, a charge, a command to come and worship this great God. So when we hear that call to worship, that invitation to come, that's pointing us to the reality and the wonder of the gospel. Because the only way you can come to this great and holy of a God is through the greatness of another. It's through Jesus Christ. So Psalm 1 and 2, it's like pointing us towards the gospel, towards Jesus. So let's just real quick, have a quick biblical theology course. Remember what happens at the beginning of the story. Adam and Eve sin. What does God do? Does he say, come? He says, depart. And he sends them away from the Garden of Eden, right? Because of their sin. And yet here in Psalm 95, God's saying, come. Like, is God schizophrenic? Which way is it? Is it depart or come? And the reason why Psalm 95 begins with verses one and two to come, it's because of the gospel, right? It's because God has provided a way for our sin problem so that he can then welcome us back to himself and back home. 
we're told here in Psalm 95. It's not just come and like, yeah, I'll put up with you. Like, you know, in my backyard, you can live in a tent. He's God, God. The God of Psalm 95 is saying, come and worship me. Come and fellowship with me. Come and praise me with thanksgiving and joyful praise. Come bow down before me because this is for your good. That's the welcoming, the come that we're hearing in Psalm 95. So again, in order for us to come and worship this glorious of a God, God had to resolve our sin problem because we can't come on our own merits. You don't have a resume that's good enough to come to this God. God had to provide a way for us, didn't he? And the only way for us to come to God is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Psalm 95 is pointing us to Jesus. It's unpacking the beauty and wonder of the gospel. Jesus Christ came so that each of us can do what Psalm 95 calls us to, so that we can come to God. Only the gospel enables us to come in true worship and experience true rest. And the reason I can say that is because God's word says it. Hebrews 3 and 4, take Psalm 95 and like run with it. It's like a all-you-can-eat buffet feast. He, excuse me. Hebrews 3 and 4, I'm going to read a verse here in a minute, but it basically drives home the reality that the ultimate rest we seek is not a place, it's a person, okay? It's this glorious God of Psalm 95. So Hebrews 3 and 4 unpack it, but I'll just highlight two verses. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 say this, talking about Psalm 95. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So as worshipers, we can miss the Sabbath, Sabbath rest of God because of unbelief, because of what it warns us against. So Hebrews, again, the writer of Hebrews takes Psalm 95 and it points us to the underneath, the rest behind the rest, points us to the deeper spiritual rest of not a promised land or just a Sabbath day, but of a person, of Jesus. That's the only way us as worshipers will experience the true rest that we long for. Because underneath all of it, if your desire and your longings for rest, if they're not from Jesus and to Jesus, it's going to exhaust you. It's going to fill you with anxiety and deep insecurity and a never-ending search for that thing or things that are going to satisfy you to give you rest. We are designed as worshipers to find our rest in Jesus. And in order for us to come and worship God like Psalm 95 calls us to, we have to come to Jesus like he invites us to. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30 say this, have Psalm 95 like ringing in your ears, echoing in your heart, and then hear what Jesus says from Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to point you to where you can find rest. Here's the directions, right? You can get there. 
He doesn't even say that he'll like lead us there, hold our hand there. He's saying he is that rest. What does Matthew 11 say? He says, he will give it to us. He, Jesus, in his person will give us the rest we long for. So hear that Psalm 95 says, come and worship this great God. And then Jesus says in Matthew 11, he had to have Psalm 95 on his mind, right? On his heart. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. So this call is for us today. I don't know about you, but this year, I felt a lot of weariness and heavy laden, right? Maybe you feel that way today, or maybe you're like, hey, 2023 is a new year. Let's go get them. Maybe it won't take you till February 1st until you feel weary and heavy laden, but you will feel it. And Jesus says, come to me, right? That's the, this, how great Jesus is from this worship here. So again, we're to no longer look for our rest in a promised land, or even again on a Sabbath day, we only find true and lasting rest in the perfect work of Jesus Christ. That's what Psalm 95 points us to. So again, whatever longings or hopes you have going into this new year, whatever restlessness or exhaustion that's deep inside of you, the rest underneath the rest that you long for will ultimately only be met by experiencing the rest of the gospel. That's Psalm 95. If you're not experiencing that rest, it's because we're worshiping other gods to give us the rest only Jesus can give us. So in 2023, I don't know if you're like a New Year's resolution person or not. I'm not because I know I'm just setting myself up for failure. But if you are, that's awesome. Give yourself a goal one way or the other. When you begin to feel the longings, the desires for rest, and I'm not saying like I need a nap, right? Or you've had a rough week at work. That's not what I'm saying. But when you have those longings for deep rest, you know the rest that you were made for. When you have those longings, when you feel exhausted by the brokenness in the world around you, or maybe exhausted by the unbelief in your own heart, know that what you're really longing for, what you're really looking for is the rest of Jesus Christ. So the wonder of the gospel is that this same God in Psalm 95, who's the creator, the sustainer, the maker of everyone and everything, the one who created, who spoke the universe and galaxies into existence, is the same God who sent his son to die for you. That's how loving and great and glorious he is. The great God who is king above all gods is the only one who loves you enough, who loves me enough to die on a cross, to pay the penalty for our sin, the sin of our false worship, and to be the shepherd of your soul for your life the diverse excellencies of God are why we praise him. And only gospel rest can fuel true worship. As we move to a close, I want to share a quote with you it's by a guy named David Murray. Have these ideas in your mind. Hear this quote. Whatever you will com complete or not today, rest in the only work that you will never need to be done again. Rest in the fact that Jesus has done the most impossible job in the world, done it perfectly, and made it available, take it, enjoy it, build your life on it. That's the kind of rest that we're talking about. So for those of us as Christians, because of the glory and grace of this kind of God of this gospel, shouldn't we be the most joyful, happy, thankful worshipers on the planet? Okay, and that's not naive. Whatever's going on around us, 
does not change who God is and what he calls us to. And if you're not here today and you haven't trusted in Jesus, we're really glad you're here. We always like to say that at GBC. Great way for you to start the new year. I would encourage you to give your life to Jesus, to place the hope of your rest in him. Because if not, you'll be here at the next new year day, still exhausted, maybe by different things, but still exhausted, okay? So as we close, how do we face the problem of pain? Psalm 95 shows us we face the problem of pain through true worship, which brings true rest. Maybe some of you know this quote, Socrates, right? That guy, Socrates, smart guy. He once said that wisdom begins with wonder. I don't think he fully saw it all the way. In light of Psalm 95, I think we can say that worship begins with wonder, doesn't it? The wonder of how great of a God in Psalm 95 is, a God that we can trust our life with, that we can trust our longings for rest with, because what we need is gospel rest today, tomorrow, and each new day. All right, before, as we normally do, before I pray for us and we gather for communion, I'm gonna give us just a minute or two uh, to be quiet. I want you to consider prayerfully what you've heard today. Consider maybe how God is convicting you or encouraging you what God wants you to do with what you've heard from Psalm 95 that I'm gonna close us in prayer. So a minute or two for silent reflection. Lord, we praise you that you are the rock of our salvation that you are a great God and a great King above all gods. We praise you that you are our God and we are the people of your pasture and the sheep of your hand. Father, we praise you for the gospel. We praise you for Jesus, that only in him is the deep rest we all long for. Father, strengthen any of us today who are afflicted, who are feeling despondent, who feel hopeless in their pain. Comfort them with the wonder of all you are, of your grace and your goodness and your glory. If there are any here today that haven't trusted in you yet, Lord, please open their eyes, soften their hearts, take out their hearts of stone and give them hearts of flesh to believe in the saving work of our Lord Jesus Christ. May they taste and see how good you are today and may they find rest in you. We ask all of this in the glorious name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.